Welcome, Welcome to, to the Better, Better Call Daddy Show. This is Big Daddy. Oh my God, that's hysterical. More stories you are not going to believe. And advice that you didn't know that you needed. Five stars. Five and a half stars. We're creating a legacy one call at a time. Here comes my daddy. Your problem is, is that you like me. <laughs> my dad is my hero. I'll always be there to take your call and you'll never be in too much trouble if your dad is around. Oh boy. Hey, hey, hey. I think I'm a pretty cool dude. Better call daddy. The safe space for controversy. This is your host, Rena Friedman Watts. No, this is your host, Celia Watts. More inspirational stories, more daddy drama, and more laughs. Hey, a lot of these things, I don't know where you're getting them from. It sounds like they're coming from when I look in the mirrors. Damn the public. Damn the public. <laughs> what started off as a dorm room hobby turned into expertise where he could help others improve their own content. He now has a dedicated following of 100,000 book lovers in his community. Nick Hutchinson, the founder of Book Thinkers, welcome. I was just listening back to my first episode with Evan Carmichael, and he actually mentioned you in that episode. And he talked about when he sent his book, Your One Word, was really like, I think the first time somebody had reached out to you. Yeah, definitely like the first verified slash authors had sent books, but it was the first time a big name, you know, somebody in my DMs of the blue check mark was like, yo, let's collaborate. Yeah. Nice. All those years ago too. I don't even know what year that was, like 2019 or something. Which really wasn't that long ago. I know, but for me, that's like my entire career, you know, that was like at the beginning of it. <laughs> so much has happened since then, but you're right. That was not that long ago. It was probably 20 maybe like late 2018. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So who was Nick at Book Thinkers in 2019? Yeah, very different. I was working full-time at a software company, just like getting Book Thinkers off the ground for the first time. And yeah, very different guy. Yeah. You know, one thing too, that I think is really interesting is that, you know, we create these communities and we create these spaces and, you know, we want a place to, to show up in the world. Right. But when do you really start noticing that you're onto something? Like you're saying you got somebody who reached out and they had a blue verified check. You're like, okay, that's interesting. Right. When did you really start getting feedback or getting like a lot of people in your DMS and how did you start catering to that? By the time Book Thinkers hit 10,000 followers, that was sort of the tipping point. When the Book Thinkers community was started originally, there were no nonfiction book accounts with more than 10,000 followers. And there might have actually been one or two, but they sort of disappeared around that time for some reason. And I think around 10,000 followers, I got the first DM from an author that said, how much do you charge for a book review? And I thought, I can get paid to read books. This is amazing. And so it was around 10,000 followers, which I think was in the beginning of 2019. And I started to have influencers like Evan Carmichael follow me at that time. And they were following me because they saw something of value in my audience, right? They thought, I want to get in front of that audience so that I can sell books. And I think for me, 10,000 followers was that tipping point. And that was at the beginning of 2019. But you started in 2019 and you saw I, that kind of growth in the first year? The original idea for Book Thinkers was a mobile application that could help people retain and implement more from the books they were reading. 
and it was formed as a legal business entity in 2017. But we took a year to try to build that mobile application and it never really got off the ground. It never found product market fit. The developer relationships fizzled out. And what we started in mid 2018, maybe early 2018 was, let's create a social community of nonfiction book readers for when this mobile application launches. The mobile application never really launched, but the Instagram started to grow. Yeah, it took it only took about six months probably of constant daily effort within Instagram to generate that following. Maybe we had a thousand followers when it first started and to get to that 10,000 follower mark. And so at that time I was post I was reading like two or three books a week. And I was posting all of my takeaways from those books. And I was also recapping books that I had previously read. So I was just pumping out tons of content and I was leveraging a lot of the social media strategies that guys like Gary Vee and stuff were talking about at the time. And so it was like, my full-time job is to make sure that this community is ready for when this app comes out so that we could sell a lot. That was like 2018. I should go back and really look at those timelines so I could figure out exactly when things happened. But yeah, six months probably of daily effort for 10,000 followers. That's insane though. That's, I don't feel like that's easy to do. You know, it, it all sort of happened at the right time. Like I said, there were no large nonfiction book accounts, but here we are in 2022 when we're recording this and there are dozens of accounts with over 100,000 followers and they all cater to the same group of books, you know, authors willing to pay to promote their books. And, and so the space has grown. And I think COVID was a blessing in disguise for the industry because a lot of people found themselves at home with time to reflect on the fact that they don't love where they are and a great way to learn and educate yourself and experience new things is through reading nonfiction books. And so the space just blew up in terms of book recommendations. So and do you so, think it's still a viable option for somebody to start and do something similar? I do. I like to say that over the last few years, Book Thinkers has been many different businesses. Like we've tried to monetize. And, and like I kind of say the metaphor, like we've attempted to climb Everest so many different times in different business units and different forms of monetization. And the one that we found today that has really started to trigger real growth for the first time is definitely available today. And we're doing content creation and promotion for authors. And I think, yeah, there's an audience for anybody who wants to get on and create video content. That's like the best differentiator ever. So are you helping authors do that now? Yes. Yep. Interesting. Yeah. So over the last few months, I've flown out and spent a day with a half a dozen different authors creating short form video content for them that they can use on TikTok and Reels to help promote their books and get people into their funnel. And my ideal target customer has some sort of high ticket complimentary offering where they can make their money back, whether that's courses or speaking or consulting or coaching or any other variation of those words. Wow. That's so cool. How did the video component happen just from you doing it? And then people are like, Hey, could you help me do that too? Yeah. In 2020 and 2021, in each year, we worked with roughly 100 different authors to help them promote their books by leveraging my audience. Now, in the beginning of 2020, I had a few discovery calls with authors where I was just asking questions. And I always like to end those calls with, hey, is there anything else that I can help with? Is there anything, is there any other way that you think we could collaborate? 
and I could provide value. And a few authors in a row said, listen, it's great that I can leverage your audience to sell books, but can you help me create an audience for myself? And I never really knew how we would do that. But I read this book called $100 Million Offers by Alex Hormozy. And in that book, he has this value equation. And one of the steps, one of the steps to like dive into one of the variables in this equation was listing out every potential service you could possibly offer, no matter how ridiculous it is, to your ideal target client with the idea that 20% of your customers are willing to spend five times more than they currently do. It's just, you don't have an offering available that that, you know, that's big enough for them to purchase. And one of the ideas based on the feedback from them was video content. Like, I think it's the biggest differentiator. I think it's the fastest way to build trust on social media. And right now with TikTok, you roll the dice every time you post, anything could go viral. And so I thought, okay, video content is the answer. But how would we get that done? We'd have to fly out and spend a day with them. Before we would fly out, we'd have to read through their book, find a ton of video ideas, and then we'd have to film it and go back and edit it. And I was missing a lot of those variables at the time, but I just started to work through it. I threw out a price that I thought was ridiculous at the time. And a few people said yes, like right away. I'm like, there's definitely something here. And so Book Thinkers, like I said, it's been monetized 12 different ways, but this one is much higher ticket and it's selling like wildfire, which is great. Wow. Congratulations. Yeah. That is so cool. So is that the direction now you think you want to put most of your energy into? For sure. I think that book thinkers will turn into a social media slash PR agency for authors. And, and that same question has already paid dividends when I'm on site with authors. You know, you work with somebody, you like Vanessa Van Edwards would say that charisma is defined as competence and warmth, like an equal balance between the two. And so you demonstrate a bunch of competence while you're there. You're also warm and friendly. And at the end of a session, I ask these authors, hey, is there anything else that I can help you with? And so now we're managing social media accounts. Now we're booking people on other podcasts. Now we're also helping one author and hopefully some more soon launch their own podcasts. And so, yeah, I think like a full service social media slash PR agency is probably the direction of book thinkers. How have you found the right people to partner with? Because obviously you can't do all of that yourself. Yeah, you know, it's been very organic. I have such a big community and I have people that reach out probably a couple times a month at least asking if there are any opportunities to get involved or positions open. And it's a super small company right now, but it's starting to grow. I just onboarded somebody this morning, actually. I think somebody whose core values line up with mine in the businesses, you know, a desire for growth, a curiosity, I think young and hungry, people who want to over-promise, but also over-deliver, motivated by progress, and who look up to the people that we're working with. I think that's something that differentiates book thinkers too, is like every time I work with one of these authors, I'm genuinely curious about how they got to where they are and what they're teaching the world. And I just, I'm motivated by the power of personal development books. So I just want to help them spread that message. And I think people who embody those same characteristics are a great fit for the book thinkers team because- I don't want to be the bottleneck. You know, I want anybody to plug in and play in each part of this business and and be able to do it well. Have you received any books that you felt you maybe couldn't represent? Oh, yeah, definitely. Now, the filtering process at the start of that has gotten a lot better, so it doesn't happen as much, but I've accepted money in the past sort of blindly 
to promote books and then I've gotten the book and I've had to return the money. So it doesn't happen that much anymore. Like I said, the filtering process at the top end of that funnel is a little bit tighter than it used to be, but you'd be surprised. I mean, the barrier to entry is so low to release a book now through Amazon KDP that you could upload virtually anything and it's available for print on demand tomorrow. And so as a result, I've had books that have not been edited very well. I've had misspellings on the cover in the subtitle misspellings in a subtitle like are you kidding me i'm not going to promote your book if that can slip through the cracks and then in terms of content i'm you know that's very easy to filter out up top i promote certain types of books books that have the chance to positively impact somebody's life so that's easy and pretty generic but yeah if i get your book and there's like misspellings on the in the subtitle or in the opening pages or introduction i'm returning the money <laughs> Yeah, you know, something that really fascinates me about you is that you say you were kind of a mediocre student and you weren't like an early reader. And one way that you were able to measure your improvement is the money that you've made in becoming a better reader. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. ROI is such an interesting subject. And I think in terms of measuring sticks, how much money you're making and how much money other people are making is a very easy way to compare and to contrast either a previous version of yourself or a mentor opportunity, right? And so money is just one of the many variables that I think contributes to a successful life, but it's the, probably the easiest to measure. And so when I was first graduating college and starting to read these books, I went from somebody who was scared to talk about money as a subject, like from a philosophy standpoint, I just didn't understand the definitions and how it worked to somebody who was leading those discussions instantly. And then my income skyrocketed right out of school because I had a software sales position and I was reading all these books on how money worked, on how sales and marketing worked. And I was able to apply those things directly into my life and see like real measurable improvements. If you're selling this many deals every month for this dollar value, and then you read and implement four or five books on sales, and those numbers double or triple or quadruple, then there's a difference there in how much you're going to earn commission wise. And so for me, I worked at a small software company out of school, but I was making more money than all my friends that took jobs at big software companies or big tech giants uh, with big fancy business cards. And it's not because I was smarter or worked harder. It's just because I worked smarter. I read these books and I implemented them. And so there was a financial ROI on the books that I was reading very early on. And so I thought, wow, like that's very easy to measure. And sometimes people give up on these books because they're applying them to areas of their life that are more difficult to measure than finances. So I'm not sure if that answered your question or not, but that's kind of like what happened to early on with me. Were your parents readers? We read fiction, you know, like fantasy stuff, Knights and Dragons and stuff when I was really little. My mom reads fiction. My dad's not a reader at all. But when I got to like late middle school, high school, college, I just sort of stepped into more of the jock stereotype. And I didn't feel a connection to learning about subjects that I didn't care about while I was in school. I was capable of learning and doing homework and applying myself, but I wasn't motivated by it. I was more motivated by after school activities and sports and things like that. So I just took a huge step away from school and academics. And then 
I had a sales mentor at the time at that first software company who introduced me. It was actually first to the world of podcasting. And then through podcasting, I, I discovered these books. I kind of got it backwards for a little while. I thought it was books first, but it was actually podcasting because I called him recently to talk to him about the story. And he's like, no, man, I didn't recommend those books. I recommended the podcast that recommended those books. I'm like, oh, okay. But yeah, my parents are amazing influences. They gave us every opportunity to be successful and to be who we wanted to be. And I'm so eternally grateful for them. And I've still got a great relationship with both of them. But yeah, not, not big nonfiction readers or anything like that growing up. What lessons would you say that you've learned from your parents? That's a great question. I'll separate between the two. So from my mom, I think patience, I think understanding, I think those have been really important lessons in my life. I think she's very open-minded. She's willing to, to listen and hear many different perspectives, diverse perspectives, things that she doesn't necessarily agree with. She's open to learning from anybody. And that was a really cool thing. She's also a super hard worker. And she's always been in management positions and like, you know, dominant business positions. And so that's been really cool to sort of shadow and also family first. We both got tattoos that said family first. I actually grew up in a household where neither one of my parents were, were okay with tattoos. Now I'm covered in them. And now both of them are tattooed as well. But yeah, family first is a big one. You know, there's not much else that matters when it, when it comes down to it. And then for my dad, a ton of stuff. I mean, he can talk your ear off. He's a great sales guy. And I learned a lot about communication, effective communication, like how to make people feel good, how to sustain conversation. And I learned a ton of stuff about business from him as well. And he just makes everybody feel like a million bucks. And I think that that charisma thing is hard to teach, but I grew up in a household where, you know, he didn't go to college at all and still was able to be very successful in life. And I think it was just because of his ability to communicate and make people feel good. And so he definitely rubbed off on me and a love of sports. That? Where did he get that? That's a great question. He grew up in a military family that was pretty strict. So I don't think it was at home, but he, he had some early positions in retail stores and like, he's always been in the footwear and apparel business. And so talking to people about what they're wearing, why they're wearing it, you know, just genuinely curious. I think he probably developed it over time because uh, his family members aren't necessarily like that at all, which is funny to think about. Do you think that there were jobs or situations that taught you how to interact with the world? Oh, for sure. I was a terrible communicator when I was growing up and I had a ton of social anxiety. It was to the point that I have a lot of different horror stories related to public speaking when I was younger, but there was one presentation that I had to give in a Spanish class where we had to do a little skit. And I memorized this thing, front, back, left, right, up, down. Like I knew this thing, bulletproof. And I was supposed to be eating a bowl of popcorn while I was doing the little skit. And I got up in front of the class and I had such bad public speaking that I was shaking and I dropped the bowl of popcorn. I couldn't remember my lines and I literally ran out of the classroom. Aww. So yeah, it is like, aw, but I realized that the power to communicate, I mean, it's, it's so powerful and you need it for almost any area of business or life. And so I've done a ton of stuff since then. I took a door-to-door -door sales job. So I did that for two summers, knocking on doors. That's repetition and tons of experience packed into one day. And then I had a phone sales job and then an in-person sales job. When I was at 
when I was in college too, at the very tail end, I took two public speaking classes and I volunteered to present on behalf of my class in a few different scenarios. And then also I went to Toastmasters for a while and I've read tons of books on effective communication. And then I started posting video content on social media. And sometimes it would take me 25 takes to get one that I really liked and that I felt confident about when I was first starting. So I have put in the work, I have put in the reps. And I'll tell one funny story real quick. When I was, when I was a recent college graduate and I had just learned in order to remove verbal pauses, so like, um, ah, uh, so, but, like, those verbal filler words, in order to remove them, sometimes you need to physically disrupt your situation. And so I had a friend who would go to the bars with me in the mall, and he was my roommate at the time. And anytime he heard me use one of those verbal fillers, I would have to drop down and do 10 push-ups, which would be like a physical disruption to my brain using those words. And eventually my subconscious would, would stop. Well, they wouldn't allow it anymore, my subconscious. And so I'd be at the bar or something like that, out drinking or whatever, and I'd have to drop down and do push-ups. It'd be so embarrassing. And I think my brain eventually said, You're, you need to stop doing these embarrassing situations. So we're going to stop using the filler words. Okay. That is a great transition into something else I wanted to mention, because I heard you say in another interview that you have an accountability group that you're a part of, and this has like really improved your habits. So you just mentioned that you had a friend that made you drop and do push-ups, and that was great accountability to get rid of those filler words. Talk about this accountability group that you've been a part of and how that has really helped you step up your game. Sure. So it's been going on for years now. We're probably somewhere between year three and four, if I'm remembering correctly, of meeting weekly. It all started after I read the book, The Compound Effect by Darren Hardy. And one of my friends at the time, actually the same friend who is my roommate, he had read The Compound Effect as well. And in that book, Darren Hardy, the author, talks about the power of accountability. And he outlines a very basic activity tracker that you could use to measure your activity on a weekly basis. It could be anything. It could be workout activity, health activity, reading activity. It doesn't matter. And essentially, you've got Monday through Sunday across the top, and you've got your goals on the left. And uh, you've got the results on the right. And then you kind of check the boxes like a little calendar. Did you do it this day? Yes or no. And it's evolved quite a bit over time. But anyway, that's what Darren describes in the book. And my friend Joseph actually was the one that said, let's implement this. Let's create a little accountability group. And so we started meeting on a weekly basis. We set up these Excel sheets. We each had a tab so you could view each other's activity throughout the week and send little encouraging text messages and stuff. And then over time, it started to grow. He started another accountability group. I didn't really want anybody else to join ours. So he started another one and it went so well that we sort of merged them together. And then now I think we've had four to five people in our group for years. And I measure all sorts of activity. When I read something in a book that I want to implement, I plug it into my activity tracker. I tell my accountability group why I've added it, what the intention behind adding it is, what the expected result might be. How many times I want to perform it that week? It could be once, it could be seven times, it could be 50 times. And then we meet once a week on a video call, on a group video call to review the previous week's activity and to talk about what we're doing the next week. And so there's a moderator who rotates throughout the group each week. And the moderator might say, okay, Nick, it's your time to present. I'll present for 10 minutes. 
last week's activity, what I'm doing this upcoming week. And then each of the other group members gets called on to ask questions or provide feedback or constructive criticism. And so let's just say I had a goal to meditate five times this week, but I only accomplished it three times. Somebody might say, hey, Nick, why did you only accomplish it three times? Do you care enough about that goal? Should it be adjusted? Or maybe we could change the time that you're meditating. How are you meditating? What's the app that you're using? Does it have a reminder function? Do you want to set a reminder in your phone? Do you want us to text you about it? And so it's it gets pretty intrusive sometimes, but we're all pushing each other to be better. So I could talk about that for 45 minutes straight because it's been so powerful, but that's a little introduction to my, my accountability group. Yeah. Can you just highlight maybe a couple of the things that you've stuck with and maybe a couple of the ones that you've just tossed to the side? You're like, nope, tried that. It's expanded and contrasted over time so many different times. I mean, at one point, I think I was measuring 50, 50, 50 different items every week. And right now I'm probably measuring about 20. My morning routine at one point was like 21 different items every single day. It was a two hour morning routine that I was compounding on a daily basis. You know, the idea behind it is that a lot of these things are small little actions. They might only take a couple of minutes and they don't seem like they're making much of a difference up front, but over the course of years, they compound into this disproportionately positive thing. And so there are certain parts of it that I still, I still try to pay attention to and I make, you know, I try to compound. And so a lot of them are health related, taking vitamins, taking supplements, making sure that I get enough sleep, doing a certain amount of exercise, sauna sessions, running, jogging, biking, those types of things. Like I want to make sure that I'm getting enough of that on a weekly basis. And so if it's Thursday afternoon and I haven't had a gym session all week because I'm too busy and I see that I've still got four workouts to go. Okay, now I'm going to kick my butt into high gear and get it done, right? Because if you're not measuring something, then it's hard to manage improvements or manage it in general. And one other note that I thought was really interesting, I was at a conference last week and I heard one of the speakers, he says, a lot of people think routines keep you in the same place, but you know, the root word of routine is a route. It's making progress. You're on a journey. Routines actually create movement. They create progress. And I thought that was a really interesting way to look at it because even if you're performing the same workouts four times a week for years, you're getting stronger when you're at the gym. You're getting better, even though it's the same activity that's being performed. And that applies to so many different areas of our life, like mindfulness, meditation, spirituality, health, wealth, happiness, all of it. I love that. I was actually just thinking about like, is there anything that you maybe wouldn't have considered that somebody else brought up and you're like, Hey, let me try that. You know, like meditation. I've actually been meditating with my three-year-old because you can literally just go to YouTube and you type in like sleep meditation. You know, he's into the like fish swimming around and the turtles and the dolphins. It even has like pretty video along with it. And I let him look at the little video for, you know, a couple minutes till he knows what we're going to do. Then I flip over the phone and we just listen to the music together. And then I knew I no longer have to sing as many songs. I no longer have to like, you know, have him wind down as much. And we focus on breathing together. I just started trying this. He's been going to bed really nicely. And it's actually, I feel like good for me too. It's like a nice wind down. Yeah. I've implemented most of what I've implemented, probably 99% of it comes from the books I'm reading. And then it gets mm. modified by my group. Not really ideas that are new from each group member, but we'll take meditation as an example. I have been meditating on and off since 
2015, probably. And I've tried dozens of different forms of meditation. I've done everything from the phone apps or YouTube videos for just a few minutes a day, maybe up to 10 minutes a day. At one point, I did sensory deprivation float tanks every Sunday for 18 weeks straight. So I've done every, you know, brainwave devices that give real-time feedback. Like I've done it all. I've had to have my group push me and encourage me to continue to meditate because that's one of those things that it's very difficult to quantify the benefits of meditation. But I know for me, I'm so much more emotionally intelligent than I was seven years ago when I started meditating for the first time. I was very reactive back then. And now I feel like every time an input enters my brain, I have more time to process it. I'm more emotionally intelligent. My there, There's more time between the input and then my reaction. And so, yeah, meditation has totally transformed things for me. And I'm so happy that I stuck with it. But if I had given up after the first couple of weeks, you know, who knows where I'd be today? Meditation has changed the game for me. And so have so many other things that took years to show up in a physical way or in like a really quantifiable or measurable way. But you read the science, you understand the benefits of something. And sometimes they're vitamins, they're not painkillers, right? They're preventative or they take years to, to show the benefits rather than like healing something that you're dealing with right now, like a painkiller does. Yeah, that's really interesting. Also, I know that reading has led you to be more of a traveler. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? You've done some travel over the last couple of years? Yeah, travel's my other thing outside of reading. And for some people in my life, it's probably when, you know, when they think about me, they think of me as like the guy that's traveling all over the place rather than the guy that's reading tons of books. Because I read a couple of books that influenced my travel a few years ago. The first was The Four Hour Work Week by Tim Ferriss. And he talks about these trips all over the planet and working remotely. And so I've implemented dozens of things from that book. And I even followed in his steps a little bit. My first solo travel trip was to Argentina to Buenos Aires for five weeks by myself. And I didn't even speak any Spanish. Like that's, that's a totally crazy experiment and experience. And then since then, my girlfriend and I, we spend seriously like six months of the year traveling. And a good chunk of that is internationally. Actually coming up here in about a week, we're taking off for five and a half weeks in Europe, which is really cool. And so yeah, travel has been amazing. And the second book that influenced my travel and really solidified my like the initial desire to start traveling was called Vagabonding. It's by Rolf Potts. And that talks about the, the art of long-term world travel. And I think here in the US, we think of travel as something that's reserved for the rich or for the retired. And that's not necessarily true. It can be a lot less expensive than you think. You can continue to work while you travel if you have a job that allows you to work from behind a computer. And it's better to do it when you're young and able-bodied and you can endure the long flights and the changes in time zone and the weird cuisines and stuff like that. And so I'm a huge advocate for travel. You know, we've spent most of our time traveling in Central and South America and the Caribbean. So we've been mostly in like the Eastern time zones, but yeah, we're, we're traveling to Europe again here in a couple of weeks for a bit of a longer trip. Are you going to interview people and make content in those locations? Yes, at least, at least in some of them. I like our first trip is to Iceland and we're going to Iceland, I think for nine days, something like that. And there's an author in Iceland who we're going to be working with quite a bit. So 
the content stuff where we fly out and film will be on pause here in the US for a little while, but we will be doing a little bit of it internationally. Yeah. But I do think too, you'll be creating like a little bit of FOMO. And then by showing people that maybe you do these destination shoots, then that can create other destination shoots. Absolutely. Yeah. I'd love to work with somebody on every country in the planet because it'd be a great excuse to travel, right? That same story about with Book Thinkers, how at 10,000 followers, the first authors asked me, you know, how much do you charge to review a book? I think the same thing exists within the travel space. I just don't have a travel audience yet. So maybe that'll be a second business eventually because I can imagine all these hotels and excursion centers and travel agents and stuff have availability and they'd rather fill it with somebody who's going to document the process and who has a large following and will encourage people to go visit, right? So who knows, maybe that'll be a future business idea. Yeah. I mean, have brands like reached out to you and do you reach out to brands and say, Hey, like I'm going to these locations. I haven't done much with brands related to travel yet, but book thinkers has collaborated with tons of cool brands here domestically, which is fun. Nothing really in person, but like they'll ship products that I'll feature and try out and stuff like that. A lot of them are related to reading or, or overall health and wellness. Like biohacking is one of my favorite subjects. So Hmm. I have tons of products in that category, but yeah, I've got to be a little bit more intentional about trying to overlap travel with with book thinkers because it'd be less expensive and and there'd be more of a reason to do it. Interesting. What would you tell someone who's not a big reader? I did read in your notes on your Discord channel that I think according to the Pew Research Foundation only 27% of people have read a book in the last year, something like that. Yeah, it's crazy. I would tell somebody who doesn't read books right now that Our human experiences are not very unique. There have been billions of people that have lived before us and a lot of them or are living today that have experienced a lot of the same difficulties and problems that you're probably currently facing. And they've written about those experiences. You know, the, you don't have to learn through your own experience. You can learn through other people's experiences as well. And so there's a good book to solve almost any problem you're facing. Like I truly believe that nonfiction books, there's a book on almost every subject. And so you can accelerate your path to fixing that problem by reading a good book about somebody else who solved that problem. So that's a good way to think about how to get into the space, you know, and also I love some of those deathbed analogies. They sound a little dark at first, but like if you were at heaven's gates, right. And, and you're about to walk through the gate, but there's another version of you standing to your right. And that's the version that has no regrets, right? They went for it. They worked their butt off. They read all the books. They applied all of them. Like what's that version of you look like? Because most of us do live under our potential. And I think these books are a great vehicle for closing the gap between who you are today and who you could be tomorrow, whether that's related to your health and well-being, related to your wealth, your professional stature, your business, your finances, your ability to donate money or give back or provide for others. And then also your happiness. Like how happy are you at the end of the day? What fulfills you? Do you create impact in other people's lives? And I think all of us, to some extent, live pretty far below our potential in each one of those categories. And I think books help us realize what is possible and it helps us actually take action and close that gap. Yeah, those are some of the things that I tell the people that don't read. And a great way to start is to say, who do you want to be by the end of this year? And what are the gaps between who you are today and who that person is? And find a couple of good books 
on those subjects, read them, implement them, or pick up a, a biography or an autobiography of somebody that you admire, like Steve Jobs or whoever the case is, and read those books because sometimes they read or listen like movies. You know, biographies and autobiographies are almost like fiction-like in a way. You can learn real lessons that you can apply to your life and diversify your perspective, think bigger. And so you'll already be interested in the subject because it's somebody that you look up to and admire, and that'll get you through your first couple of books and you'll get a little bit of momentum that way. Are there any biographies that you loved? Yeah, I love tons of them. I think Walter Isaacson is my favorite biographer, and he's written books about Steve Jobs. He wrote about Einstein. He wrote about Leonardo da Vinci. He wrote about Benjamin Franklin. And so those four books are probably four of my favorite biographies. Those are pretty iconic names, and you can learn a lot through somebody else's experience. You know, there are a couple autobiographies that I really love. Uh, Total Recall by Arnold Schwarzenegger is a really cool book. I mean, you could say what you want about his politics and maybe some of his personal choices, but Arnold Schwarzenegger is an incredibly smart person and his dream to reality ratio is ridiculous. Like whatever he set out to do, he did it and he became the best in the world at it, whether it was bodybuilding or business or politics or film, like he's just become the best at whatever he set out to do. And Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. David Goggins is a ridiculous human being. And I really loved his book, Can't Hurt Me. It details his life growing up and his time in the military and, and doing ultra marathons and stuff like that. And it's a really good one too. Um, by the way, too, I listened to your podcast and I was like, oh my gosh, you've gotten to interview such cool people. Yeah. The one with Guy Raz, is that how you say it? Mm -hmm. Guy Raz. Yeah, that one was so good. Oh, thank um, you. I'm trying to think what he said. I put it on my Twitter. But one thing that I took away from it is, you know, and you kind of alluded to this already, was live life now. Like, do you want to die with millions in the bank? I mean, I feel like that was kind of my grandparents' generation where like they wanted to like leave money and yes, like spend the money in retirement and like work, work, work to have all of this money. But I feel like that's one thing in my own mind that I don't necessarily agree with that maybe my parents tried to pass on to me. Like I, I more agree with you, like get to see the world, try to give back, try to help as many people as you can and do it now because tomorrow is not guaranteed. Yeah. There's another author, Bill Perkins. He wrote a book called Die With Zero. And that book outlines this subject perfectly. He says, create memories while you're young because- you can actually receive memory dividends throughout the rest of your life. You can go back to those moments in your mind or if you've documented them really well, and you can experience that excitement again and again and again through your memories, which is really cool, right? So if you hike Machu Picchu when you're 21 versus 61, you get to relive that experience as many times as you want for an extra 40 years and dip into that excitement and it compounds and it blends with other experiences that, you know, that's a really cool reason to try to do stuff while you're a little bit younger. And then he says, yeah, die with zero, like use your money. Would your kids rather have access to that money while they're a little bit younger and more energetic and entrepreneurial and they have more risk tolerance or when you die and they don't get to share any of it with you or tell you how they spent it or tell you what they did with it or why it was super helpful, right? Like don't wait until you're gone to give your money, use it today if you've got extra money. And so, yeah, it's a really cool book that sort of sums up some of those lessons really well. And I actually have a tattoo on my chest that says memento mori, which means remember your own mortality. 
And that helps me prioritize my time because life is short. I mean, we have such a finite amount of time on this planet. And that reminds me to prioritize it. Like, don't waste it. Don't just sit back and scroll on social media all day long or watch four hours of Netflix a day. Like, go out and live life, experience it. So I'm super passionate about all of those subjects. How did you get your parents to get a tattoo and what are their tattoos of? Yeah, you know, I think what happened was they just realized tattoos weren't bad. You know, I think that my dad coming from a military family, I mean, my mom technically came from a military family too, but just like very conservative Christian families, like you don't want to get tattoos. Those are reserved for, you know, bikers and whoever, criminals. Hoodlums. And then, yeah, yeah, hoodlums. (laughs) And I just, I ended up getting a ton of tattoos And I think my tattoos are all very positive. They're forward thinking. They're very conscious decisions. And I use them as Evan would say, like play bigger triggers. And I think when I described to my parents why I was making those decisions and they saw that my life was only getting better, I wasn't all of a sudden becoming like a criminal or something that, you know, that's a little bit of an exaggeration probably of their standpoint, but yeah, they, they just thought, you know what, like life is short. And it's just your body. It's just your skin. Like it's nowadays you could get tattoos undone if you wanted to and removed. Like that was kind of the change in their paradigm. And then I actually had a neighbor. His name was Dan Roy Henry. He used to come over and babysit us a little bit. He was actually killed by the police and he had a family first tattoo and like just such an amazing young man. And the case went all the way to the Supreme Court and his, his family wanted and everything like that. It was um, one of those early police shootings. And I think at that time I said, like, I want to get a family first tattoo, you know, family's all that matters. Like, look, DJ's parents don't get to see him anymore, you know, and he cared so much about his family, et cetera. So all my brothers and I got that tattoo and my mom decided to get it as well, which was her first tattoo. And then we also got us. That's so cool. We got a second tattoo together that says faith in action, because I think sometimes we want to go out and take advantage of this life. Right. And, and sometimes people, I think like hope is kind of a passive word and faith is like, let's go take some action. Like let's go change things for ourselves. So we ended up getting that tattooed. And then my dad, his father passed away a few years ago and they found this like a book of Sudoku puzzles and in the Sudoku puzzles, his father, before he had passed, had written a couple of words, kindness, forgiveness, and tenderness. And now he was like a full colonel in the U.S. Army and very like strong militant kind of man. But towards the end of his life, he realized like, you know what? Kindness, forgiveness, and tenderness were probably things that he wished he displayed a little bit more to his family, friends, to people around him. So my dad ended up getting that tattooed and so did I. And that was his first tattoo. So yeah, they're they're getting tatted now, which is fun. But what beautiful reminders yeah. of, you know, the kind of values that you want to carry on. I love that. Yeah, that makes like, me want to get a tattoo. <laughs> you should. You know, Evan, you know, Evan Carmichael always says play bigger triggers. Like they're environmental cues that will encourage certain behavior because your subconscious sees them a thousand times a day. And so as an example, on this wrist, I have reality is negotiable. And that's actually a line from the four hour work week. But I came out of school thinking that reality was fixed and that I had to follow a certain path, you know, get a good nine to five, start contributing to my 401k, travel maybe once a year and use vacation time to do it. 
you know, get the white picket fence, like the whole US narrative, right? But reality is totally negotiable. Like Tim says in the book, you can choose a reality that fulfills you. You don't have to fulfill society's expectations. And so I see this a thousand times a day. And at first it was more of like, I hope to believe that one day, like I truly want to get there. And now I'm here, I'm only 28. And I think like, I want to help other people realize that they can design lifestyles that fulfill them. So I see this a thousand times a day. And on this wrist, I have the numbers one, two, and three, because every day I was journaling three things that I was grateful for. And I decided I want to think about three things I'm grateful for a thousand times a day because gratitude has positively impacted my life so much. Earlier, we were talking about small steps in the right direction in the activity tracker. Well, there's a line from an Indian monk, his name's Das, and he says that it's not happy people that are grateful, but it's grateful people that are happy. If you focus on gratitude, happiness is the result of that focus. And so a cool example might be, you go from driving down the highway in your car and you see a Lamborghini go by and you go, oh, I wish I had that car, right? You're focusing on what you lack. But when you're focusing on gratitude every morning, eventually your default becomes a Lamborghini goes by and instead you go, oh, you know what? I'm so happy I have a car as well. And you focus on what you have instead of what you lack. And so this tattoo, the one, two, three, has just created that reality for me where I always default to gratitude. And as a result, I'm super happy. And so my tattoos, I've got like 35 of them, actually. I'm like covered and they're all kind of like that. Do you go through like a chant in the morning where you like read each one of them? I don't, but uh, I try to review them as often as possible so that I don't, you know, I don't forget them. And it's kind of crazy. Like I always thought, well, what if you regret your tattoo? You have to look at it every day, but you just, I mean, how often do you look at your elbow, right? It's like, your tattoos become a part of your body. You sort of forget that they're there unless you consciously review them. Like when was the last time you looked at, you know, your calf muscle and studied it for minutes, right? It just becomes part of you. I love that. So what is the future for you? Like what's the dream meeting and interviewing Tim Ferriss? Probably. Yeah. I always say that Tim is my spirit animal. I don't know if you've heard me say that before, but yeah, Tim, you know, but Gary V, you know how Gary V, I don't know if you follow him at all, but he always yeah. says that he wants to buy the New York Jets. But at the same time, like, does he actually want to buy the Jets? Because then everything, you know, like he's in love with the process. And if he actually bought the Jets, like what's next? It's kind of like that with me and Tim. Like, I think I'd get along with Tim. I want to be Tim's best friend. I want to interview him on the podcast. I want to thank him for how much he's changed my life. But then at the same time, I'm like, do I actually want to interview Tim? Because what if he lets me down? What if it's a little bit of a disappointment? You do, you do. Come <laughs> on, plant that seed. Have you tried to reach out to him? Yes. Okay. Yes. And I've probably, I've probably bugged people that I'm connected with that he's also connected with a little bit too much. So right now the foot is off the gas with Tim, but I'll tell you what, I know my core values. I know what fulfills me and I try to feed them on a daily basis or a weekly basis. And I'm in the middle of like exactly what younger me wanted to be doing, which is interviewing these amazing people, providing value, impacting people in a positive way, connecting them to books. And so I just want to continue to be in the space I'm in and always expand my comfort zone, always expand the business from a place of my core values. And yeah, I think, I think in the future, you know, like I want to have I want to get married. I want to have a bunch of kids. Like, you know, I've got my girlfriend, Rachel, and we're going to take those next steps in the next few years. And I want to build a great family life. And I want to continue to expand the business. Like 
but I don't have fixed five-year goals or anything right now. I'm just like living in the moment, you know? What do you think your parents are most proud of that you've done? Hmm, That's a great question. You know, a few of your questions, nobody's ever asked me before. So I've had to think on the spot. This one, I'm trying to buy a little bit of extra time for. That's the best, right? Hey, I think Guy Raz actually said like the best guests are the ones that don't have their answers already prepared. Like a lot of times when you get guests from publicists, they like have all of their answers baked. Yes, they do. And that's why I try to, I never send questions in advance of an interview either because of what Guy said to me. <laughs> so, Interesting. And I always try to ask something a little different. Let's see, what are they most proud of? I think they're probably most proud of probably my conviction. That's also tough because I also have a willingness to change my opinion. I don't have a fixed mindset virtually about anything. I think my ability to take a stance against a lot of society's traditional expectations and then persist in the face of some adversity. I mean, BookThinkers has had a lot of failures over the years, financial failures. Like I said, those attempts at Everest forms of monetization that never really worked out, failed business relationships, failed monetization opportunities, and a lot of money down the hole. And I've just persisted. And it took me, geez, we're in 2022. I'm five years into this idea of book thinkers. And really for the first time in 2022 now, it's taking off and growing. And there was a lot of like boring plateaus that I had to persevere through. So it's probably probably something related to that because they've been, you know, they've been in the passenger seat the whole time in one way, shape or form. I love that. Well, please promote away all of the communities that you've got going on. I mean, your Discord channel is so cool. I love how you do the different ideas from the books that you've read. And I'm sure that's evolved over time. So you kind of know, like you probably have process around that and your Instagram channel. And, you know, if people want to hire you in Finland or Iceland or Norway, how can people get in touch with you? Yeah, I think Instagram is always going to be the best place. So instagram.com slash bookthinkers, or if you've got the app, just go to bookthinkers. And I'm super responsive. Sometimes it takes me a few days to answer my DMs, but I will answer every DM. If you need a book recommendation, you want to work with me, you want to talk about anything, just shoot me a DM on there. And then the link in that bio has links to everything, the podcast, the discord. You know, I think we're at bookthinkers on virtually every other social platform. If, if you've got a different platform of choice, I'm in the Instagram DMs all the time. Some of the other platforms, most of them are run by other people. So if you want to get in touch with me, go right to Instagram. Awesome. Are you on LinkedIn? Yes. Nicholas Hutchison. And I think it's actually like linkedin.com slash IN slash book thinkers. But yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn as well. All right. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed connecting with you and have amazing travels. Yeah. Thank you. And let me know when this is live and happy to reshare it on the stories and everything like that. Switch it over to Grandpa. This is a story of Nick Hutchinson. It's a story about all the people that he meets and all the people that he reads about. He's really been able to take two realms and expand it into even other realms. What I found to be very interesting is that after reading and reading and taking the advice and the experiences of people in a written form, He wants to go out there and also experience this and travel the world and be able to make his own assessments from what he's learned and be able to help live it live, be part of the action. Isn't that really 
What all of us need to do is to be able to develop our knowledge, our skills, but to also go out there and live it and do it and give it everything that we have so that we can make our lives better, more knowledgeable, create a little wisdom for ourselves, and to be able to share that with others. That is the formula, isn't it? Sounds like you're making speeches. Oh, that sounds like a good speech. I (sighs) thought it was very interesting as well that he has a mother that showed professionalism, a tolerance, and patience. And he comes with a father that was always wanting to be nice to people and see what's good for them as well as himself, where he's not just a salesman, but he's a person who wants to really communicate on a level with people where he builds his own following. You don't have to go to college to be nice to people. You don't have to go to college to be knowledgeable. You have to be able to listen and get along with people is an art in itself. It sure is. It's a chemistry. I loved that he is able to, through his experiences and through his reading and learning from other experts, being able to now become an expert himself, where he is able to then take the content that he reads and be able to read other people's content and be able to help them along, improve it, and to be able to get it out better. This reels or making videos, and there's a lot of hard work uh, in getting it right, but then you get a feel. After a while, you get the experience where you really get a feel of how to project and communicate your thoughts better, and seeing a visual also is very helpful in getting your point across. It's nice when you read a book and you leave it to your imagination, but isn't it also very interesting how a lot of books are then turned into movies? And sometimes the movies are bigger hits than the book. So having a visual experience is just as important as having a verbal communication or a, a written communication, which obviously is extremely important, but being able to see it is an enormous help in everyone's lives. But most of all, living it is the ultimate challenge. Well, he's definitely living it. He's traveling the world doing it. Well, I think it's wonderful. I think we could all take a lesson in that. But being kind to people, being patient. And what did he say that was in his thoughts that his parents would be most proud of? Is being persistent, is being focused, and being able to handle whatever challenge it goes your way without giving up. It's finding a way of taking out the kinks out of the problem and improving it and not surrendering. And that's something that, as you know, is a tremendous dedication to my parents and their parents, where we never give up. We keep plugging away and we uh, try to take advantage of every breath that we take and are grateful for it. And he showed that gratitude is also a very important ingredient in this life and that we shouldn't waste our time and we should be focused on trying to make it as most meaningful as possible. So I like that as well. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Better Call Daddy Show, please feel free to review it at ratethispodcast.com slash bettercalldaddy. Add Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com. 